Welcome back to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando, and I'm finally back in the United States. But while I was in Wales, I had an opportunity to speak with John Waters about his new Christmas show that he's bringing to San Diego. Here's my interview with John Waters. And after the interview, I'm going to repost the interview I did with him in 2014 about Carsick and his Christmas show. I'm actually in Wales doing this on my vacation. Oh, wow. That's good. That would would be very international today. Well, thanks for making the time. Sure. You were in San Diego last year for the Christmas show. Can audiences expect anything different this year? Oh, yeah. I'm always updating it. And, oh, my God, Johnny Mathis's house burned down. A terrible thing happened since last year that affects my Christmas because, you know, he's on the road doing his Christmas show, too. And so, I, you know, I, I think of that. So certainly there's so many things happen in the news, so many things happen with politics that uh, it everything affects Christmas. Unfortunately, what happened in, in, in Paris affects Christmas. I mean, it, it affects everything. So, yes, I always, current events are, are unfortunately my soap opera sometimes. So I always work in uh, things because there's always a new kind of stress at Christmas. This year, we also have presidential debates going on. That's got to be like fodder for you. <laughs> oh, it is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking that I think... Who's the fat one in, <laughs> you know, I know that's politically incorrect, the one in New Jersey. He could come back if he would team up with Barbara Bush and they could be really mean together. And, and he could put junk food back in the school to fire Michelle Obama. It would be exciting. Yeah, I talk about politics. So maybe I should run. Because anybody can, obviously. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you that. Why don't, even if you don't win, you would just stir the pot so nicely. No, first of all, you have to spend all your own money, and it doesn't pay well. It does, here's where it does pay well. It pays really great on the speaking circus after you're president. <laughs> That's the whole reason they do it, because they make half a million dollars to go talk for, you know, 40 minutes at some at some corporate dinner and they can and i don't blame them they always use that against them and say well she made this much or he made good for them why would they why are they mad at that i never understood that well and the other thing too is i recently saw the documentary about gore vidal and uh, william f buckley yes it seems like we don't really have debates anymore where they actually debate each other. And that documentary reminded me like how fun it is to watch people really kind of go at each other. Right. Well, I guess they do. No, but they just rant about themselves usually. Who knows? I know who I'm voting for. So, it does, you know, I, I mean, things could change, you know, so... Uh, but it, it's interesting to me, but I don't rise to the bait. I don't get mad about Trump. I really don't. I never liked him or his whole family. So, you know, I make it personal, but I didn't like him before. So it doesn't surprise me I don't like him now. And I hope he, I hope he is the Republican nominee because then I think he'll probably lose. And they, they know that, too. It'll probably be that one from Florida. That's, I think, unless, unless the mean one comes back. <laughs> we'll shut down your roads and take your phones away if you don't vote for me. <laughs> He's the only one left that can come out of the, the end and win, <laughs> the Republicans. In your press release, it, it also mentioned that you might be posing questions like, is Santa erotic? Well, that is a question because with the bear movement, certainly he is a silver fox. 
He is Mrs. Claus is a is a Goldilocks. That's a bear fag hag. Um, there's yes, that that is a question. Definitely, are the elves twinks? It's it's a confuse. Is Christmas gay now? Why don't we just say it? Christmas is gay. And also, you're you're considering our holidays better time for criminals. How is that? Well, certainly it is because you're rushing. You forget to lock your your door of your car. Um, there's presents inside. Um, Christmas for criminals, you know, I, I even knew a criminal that told me the most horrible story, but I always think of it at Christmas, that he goes to graveyards on Christmas Eve when people are out putting Reese, he steals their pocketbook in the car. Oh! <laughs> no, but see, it's a good time for him. It's not a good time for others. But we have to take joy wherever we can get it. So do you actually ever celebrate Christmas yourself? Oh, my, are you kidding? This year it's my turn to cook the entire turkey dinner for my family. And I have a giant Christmas party for 200 people that I've had every year for 40 years in the middle of the tour. Actually, my poor assistants have to have the party. <laughs> so what kind of a tree do you have then? I don't have a tree. I used to decorate the electric chair that Divine got electrocuted in female trouble because we put lights on that. But I do have Christmas decorations. I have the Unabomber birdhouse, which is on my, we put little lights on that. Um, I do decorate. I decorate. I have a wreath that rips your clothes when you come in the door. It's like an S&M wreath. I, I decorate. Those sound wonderful. Was also a mention of, um, do you have a dangerous gift list for uh, a dangerous toilet? I'm waiting toilet? for it. I'm waiting. I talk about it every year, and I was nagging my assistants today. I said, it's not out yet this year. Every year they do the 10 most dangerous toys. It must come out the day after Thanksgiving. But haven't they heard the Christmas season starts at Halloween now? Where is it? I'm waiting for it. Last year was the easy bake oven that burned little girls' fingers. I mean, and, and then you could buy guns. Oh, that's real nice with what's going on in Ferguson. Who would buy their child a gun to go out and play with? A play gun that looks real, it says. You know, that's, that's amazing. Do you find it harder or easier to come and do your show like this after something like Paris happens? Because it seems like it's... I think it's neither. It's, it's, it's not easier, certainly, but people always want to laugh. It breaks the tension. You know, and I'm not going to come in and make jokes about Paris because nothing's happened yet that is worthy of parody. You know, I don't do 9-11 jokes either. Joan Rivers did. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that nothing is off limits, but... What's changed for me is that all the stuff I say, people used to call the police, people went crazy. Now I say the same kind of stuff and no one ever gets mad. <laughs> so it's magic. Maybe it's because I'm old, because I'm a filth elder now. They, they don't want to take it out. They think an old person's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. But sometimes I can tell when I come out and I get a standing ovation before I say anything. I said, now come on, that's because I'm old. You give it, it means something at the end, but not in the beginning. That just means I'm still standing. Do you feel that you still have the same ability to shock people these days? Or? I don't ever, I never try to just shock people. I try to make people laugh. And it's easy to shock. And I hate when you're trying too hard to shock, like all these big Hollywood movies today, that unfortunately maybe I've been a bad influence on. No, I like people. I like, I hate jokes. I like wit. I hate, it's just gross, isn't that funny? You gotta do something with it. You gotta change how people think with it by getting their attention. So that's the only reason I ever use shock value. I learned that term in elementary school when we were in English class. They taught us that you have to say every once in a while something to get people's attention. Well, I paid too close attention to that lesson. But um, 
hey, my book called Shock Value has been out since 1980. It's never gone out of print. That says something. And you talking yeah. about books, you have a new book coming out, correct? And you know? uh, well, I had Chrysler come out last year. I just signed a two-book deal. I haven't written it yet, so I, it's really bad luck to promote it when you have a blank pad, but I've thought it up. Two books. I got a two-book deal. One is called Mr. Know-It-All, and the other is a novel called Liar Mouth. So I talk about the ultimate homework assignment. That's the next five years of my life. Oh, so they haven't been started yet. No, I just signed a book deal. Like, you know, it just happened. No, Karsik was my last book. I'm still prone. That's still, you know, that did great. That, that, that came out all over the world. I mean, it was on the bestseller list. It was, it was wonderful. It was a really good experience. Audiobook of it was fabulous. Thank you. I got a Grammy nomination for that and lost to Joan Rivers. But death is a good career move. She wouldn't mind I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, the novel is described as a Feel bad romance? I'm not. Yeah, that's it. That's all. It okay. is really bad luck to promote something that you haven't done yet. And believe me, I'm writing the other book first, so that'll be in a couple of years that comes out. But yes, I, I, it's what it says. It's a feel bad romance. And is this your first novel? Kind of. I mean, if you think about it, all my films were fiction. Yes, it's my first novel, but all my I've written 16 movies that were fiction. And the first two parts of Karsik were the fictional account of when I imagine the best and the worst that could happen when I'm hitchhiking. So I'm no stranger to it. But yes, that's the last thing on my bucket list that I wanted to try. I can't sing or I would have exploited that, even though I do have two compilation albums out. The only thing I haven't done is to try to write a novel. So I'm, I'm excited about it. You seem to be doing a lot more writing recently than filmmaking. Is that because it's well, just... Well, I, I wrote all the movies, too. So I've always been a writer. That's, you know, yes, I haven't made a film in 10 years. And I probably won't make another one. So the way the film business is today. But I, I'm fine with that. It's not like, you know, my films are all out there. They play all over the world. Polyester just came out again with Odorama cards. I mean, it's not like... Hard to get. <laughs> but we want something new. Well, I tried. I had a couple of development deals that all fell through. They want to, They want you to make it. Like, oh, can't you make it like you used to? No, I'll be seventy years old next year. I can't say. And I own three homes and a summer rental. I can't say. Help me out. I'm making my first movie. I'm, I'm really not going to go kickstart when I own three homes. I can't be that hypocritical. Well, I hope. It's not true that you're not going to make any more movies because I would love to see I write a book. It's the same thing. I'm telling you a story. <laughs> true. You are telling a story, but I, I love film, I think, more than I love. Well, thank you. I like. I just well, I went to the movies today. I saw what's the one about the Boston child molesting case. Um, oh, Spotlight? Yeah, Spotlight. Yeah, it was funny. Such a good political movie. <laughs> well, and there's also Trumbo out, which is also interesting in today's political climate. Which one? Trumbo, about Dalton Trumbo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't seen that one yet, but I'll see him because I, I vote for every, I get every screener ever known to man because I'm, I even vote for the Razzies. I vote for all of them, so they send me all, I get every screener. But I paid to see in the movies today. I like to go to movies. Yes, and see, that's why I want you to make another film. Cause... Right, well, that's right. I just had a development deal that fell through, but they paid me to write it, so I'm still involved in that business. It's just... These days, you know, my last movie didn't make money. That's what happens. My last book did, so you stay where you where, where they like you. <laughs> Common sense. <laughs> so, are you enjoying the success of Carsick? Oh yes. Are you kidding? I had a great time. Went all over the world with it. Yeah, it was great. And yes, I'm enjoying my whole life. All my my dreams. I always said that came true years ago. This is all new stuff. I never imagined would even happen. So. Um, I, I have nothing to complain about. Are you kidding? I, I had a 
I had a 50 year um, retrospective at the British Film Institute this year. I had one at Lincoln Center last year. Um, no, it's great. It's like being at my own funeral and getting to hear all the nice stuff. Did you ever think when you were making something like Pink Flamingos that you would be getting awards and tributes at the Lincoln Center and in London? I mean, um, I didn't think I wouldn't, but I was ambitious. I, you know, I, I. You don't think when you're that age and you make something. I just wanted at that time to make a hit midnight movie. But I wanted to keep going. I got variety since I was 13. I was in show business when I was 12 and I had a puppet show career. So, I, I you know, and I wrote a, a novel about a horror novel when I went to summer camp and read it every week, and the, like a serial. And then all the kids flipped out and their parents called the camp and complained. So I've always been doing this. Do you think that if Divine were still alive, you might be more interested in, in trying to make a film? No, no, I don't think that. I mean, Divine would have been in the last movie. He would have had the grandmother's role, you know? Divine, Divine, uh, still my friend. I mean, you know, we bought graves and mixed all. We all bought graves in the same graveyard as Divine. We call it Disgraceland. So I'm, <laughs> we're going to be buried with our friends. Dreamland's all going to be buried together. That's exciting. Not that many people get buried with their friends. That's an odd, an odd thing today. But I think it's a good one. No, that sounds great. We uh, recently had our Gay and Lesbian Film Festival film out. Gay had a tribute to Tab Hunter, and he was out. Oh yeah, he was there. Yeah, certainly he's been everywhere with the movie. I yeah, know. and we recently showed Polyester with the new Odorama cards. Right, and that film still plays fantastically and it was especially fun to see it you know after the documentary right 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 oh the documentary is great and i saw a tab when i when i went to a screening of it and uh i'm thrilled for him you know and and he's the movie's good and jeffrey schwartz is the same one that made the divine movie so he's he really did a great job with both of them i think and tab made that movie a hit tab was really brave to do that movie it's, it's hard to imagine today that it was so shocking that he had a love scene with divine but believe me it was then really shocking well and he seemed like such a genuinely nice guy too oh, he is, he is. <laughs> that's why he's 80 i'm happy <laughs> are you surprised that polyester did come out again and they did reissue all those odorama cards which were so uh, hard I to find it went back for another printing um it started in london by a company there that did it. what's so great and really surprising is that warner brothers distributes all my films now now that new line uh that i knew changed and became part of warner brothers so and they're lovely to work with i have a great time but who would have ever thought warner brothers would distribute pink flamingos they're lovely about it so do you have um a christmas wish list oh yes i said my my assistant has it's always books i want it's always books i want so um that's what i always ask for and some people do call and get me the books so it's great i, I had to stop buying books this week because i thought wait a minute i better put something on my christmas list so do you publish your christmas list on your website no no, no. i don't have a website I want to be harder to reach. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time. They told me to be very prompt about it. Sure. And we so, talked before, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, okay. I wore a pink flamingo dress to your event last year. Uh-oh. Well, if you're coming again, you better wear a new one. I know. I have to see if I can find another pink I think flamingo. I got a new outfit for you. You better get one for me. We got to support the fashion industry, too. All right. I'll, I'll do my best. Right. But thank you very much, and thanks for Bye putting right. San Diego on your tour again. Bye-bye. That was the interview I did with John Waters last week while I was still in Wales, and he was in New York. Here's the interview I did with him last year, where we talked a little bit about his Christmas show, but mostly about his book, Carsick. John Waters has been called the Sultan of Sleaze, the Prince of Puke, and the King of Schlock, all titles he wears proudly. 
He shocked audiences in 1972 with Pink Flamingos, a no-budget independent film set in his hometown of Baltimore and starring his beloved Divine, a 300-pound transvestite who plays the notorious beauty Babs. In the film, Babs is fighting to maintain her title of the filthiest person alive. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. Take whatever you like. With Pink Flamingos, Waters made an audacious bid for attention and got it. But the film was more than just an attempt to shock. It was an all-out satiric attack on the middle-class values he saw as oppressive and hypocritical. There is right and there is wrong. I have never been wrong, Mr. Goldstein. Do you expect to get new followers with this publicity? I certainly hope so, Mr. Kazan. I didn't invite you here to off, you know. Get this all down. Don't miss one single word. The film lobbed a bomb in the cultural war in the early 70s. But what made Waters unique was the joyous quality of his work and the wicked delight he took in his trashy obscenity. Of course, not everyone appreciated that. He brags that his favorite review for the film stated, It's like a septic tank explosion. It has to be seen to be believed. He also boasts that in regard to his film's desperate living, an official censor in London wrote, We do not know how to deal with the subject of intentional bad taste. And that's precisely what Waters banks on. No one in the history of American cinema has done more for bad taste than him. And his cinematic legacy may be that he brought trash to the level of art. Although he deals with topics like incest, exhibitionism, and eating dog poop, his approach to filmmaking relied on a Hollywood tradition of straightforward narrative plots, entertainment over enlightenment, and a stable of stars. By embracing these Hollywood trappings, he eventually found mainstream success with Hairspray, Crybaby, and Serial Mom. That's an irony he savors. With his trademark pencil-thin mustache and skinny suits, Waters is a pop culture icon as famous as his films. But at the moment, he's not finding the financial backing to make another movie. So he simply focused his creativity elsewhere. He's been touring with a live show and recently wrote a new book, Carsick, about hitchhiking across the U.S. Here's how he describes it in the audiobook. I haven't felt this excited or scared for a long time. Maybe ever. I just signed a book deal resulting from the shortest pitch ever. I, John Waters, will hitchhike alone from the front of my Baltimore house to my co-op apartment in San Francisco and see what happens. Simple, huh? And before I go, think up the very best that could happen on this trip. Imagine the worst, too. Both as novellas. And then, after fantasizing on paper, go out in the world, do the real thing, and hopefully live to report the results. Fiction, nonfiction. Then the truth. Waters says he planned from the start to take this three-part approach to his book and wrote the fictional parts before he left on his real trip. Yeah, because hitchhiking invites danger, sexual fantasies. Uh, no one, if they hitchhike, gets in a car and even no matter how old you are, doesn't consider the idea of sex and the person that picks you up the same. Even though you would never talk about it and never do it. Or, I mean, I had... I had rides with preachers' wives and cops. They believe me, they weren't thinking about that. But still, it's a fear, and a, and it's such a fantasy in every softcore film or every horror movie you've ever seen that you can't escape it. Now, you included a playlist at the end of the book and at the end of the audiobook. Did you write the fictional parts and then come up with the music you wanted, or did you kind of imagine this playlist in your head and then wrote to the songs you liked? Well, some of them I knew, but as I wrote, as I wrote each chapter, I did research and found different songs. I listened to a million songs. And, and really, there's very few songs about hitchhiking that aren't country, except the most famous one by Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Thank you. 
that you imagined? My favorite good ride, well, I don't know. They were all kind of fun. I guess where I had sex in a car in a demolition derby, which was based sort of on the truth. I was in a car in a demolition derby once covering the demolition derby for NPR, but we certainly didn't have sex. Good ride number three, Lucas. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, shouts the driver. I'm Lucas. Hop in. Thanks, I say, climbing inside, thrilled to hear that roughneck highway song Looking at the World Through a Windshield by Del Reeves playing on the radio. We're gonna tear him up, he hollers humorously, meaning him and his car. I want to go too. Almost magically, as if he could read my mind like Kreskin, he smiles that sexy gold-tooth smile and leers in a friendly growl with a faint southern accent. Want to ride in the car with me? Sure, I stammer, but are you allowed to have passengers, I ask? Hell no, he replies, but since when have I done what is allowed? I'm looking at the world through a windshield I see everything in a little bit different light And then what would be the your favorite bad ride that you created? Well... It was really more fun to think of the worst that can happen to you. And think of it, when you're hitchhiking, what are the two worst things? Diarrhea and being murdered. So I guess I had the most fun writing my own death and thinking up a serial killer who only killed cult film directors. And he had just killed the entire cast of Rocky Horror Picture Show in Salt Lake City before he picked me up. Bad ride number 13, Randy Packard. We pull into the Las Vegas city limits. Time flies when you're being tortured. I see the ridiculous skyline of the town, a place filled with tourists I have spent my lifetime trying to avoid. Look, Randy, I groan through spasms of pain. Just let me out here. I promise I won't make any trash films again. I'll go make mainstream movies, I swear. It's too late for a career change, Randy snarls with murderous rage as he pulls his truck off the road into an abandoned drive-in movie theater. Yeah, you do take the bad rides to... The absolute extreme. Uh, yes, well, <laughs> worst and best are extremes, aren't they? Yeah, but it could have been bad and not take you, like, all the way to hell. Well, <laughs> I, you know, that is the worst that could happen, that everything they told me I didn't believe was true and that Anita Bryant was in heaven and I was in hell. Oh, no. 
I see the long white tunnel. You've got to be kidding me. This cliche couldn't be true, but it is. I feel myself elevating up through the clouds, up, up, up to what? Oh my God, heaven is true. I see God, but he gives me the thumbs down. Over his shoulder, I see awful people from my past, mean nuns from Sunday school, ignorant Christian brothers who discouraged my interest in high school. I see Cardinal Sheehan, Mary Avera, the Maryland film censor. Is that Art Linkletter? Good God, Anita Bryant, all in heaven. God looks at me blankly and then whispers, Catholics were right. I plunge into hell and see all my deceased friends, but they can't see me or each other. I'm Beth Accomando, and I'm speaking with John Waters, author of the new book, Carsick. Well, I like the fact, too, that no matter how bad it got and no matter what horrible things people were doing to you. you in the fictional in part. In the fictional because, part. In the yeah, fictional part. in real life, people, nobody did anything horrible. Yeah, in the fictional part. But you still seem to have compassion for them. You don't seem to judge anyone. Well, I try not to. I think I judge the sports fanatic that gets me busted and trapped in a bathroom. And I maybe judge the, in Kansas, where actually sodomy is still illegal for men, women, straight or gay. It all was based on truth. My assistant, Trish, did a lot of research on, in the fictional parts, when I get it right, I could have gotten there in that day. It, town was like where this could have happened. And we did research on the town. And there is a little jail in Bunker, Kansas. So it was all kind of could be true. So you did some research about the locations and getting some information about where you were setting these fictional parts. Did you also draw on real people you knew to create the characters for the drivers? No, I don't think so. I guess maybe there's a little bit of truth in everything you write. But no, I don't think so. No, I didn't. Um, well, I guess I'm the librarian. I do collect uncollectible books, so that's maybe a little bit of me, but I haven't given up my whole life. I don't drive around. I mean, there's a tiny bit of truth that is exaggerated and turned into fiction, which I think a lot of fiction can be. And from your the real part of your hitchhiking, did you have a favorite ride? Well, I would have to say the Corvette Kid because he came back and drove 80 miles an hour for, for 48 hours straight to catch up with me. And in his parents' car, when they were freaking out, really, that they, you know, if you Google me, it's not a good thing for a parent. And he had never heard of me, had no idea who I was, even after I told him. He, had, he was a Republican. 20-year-old elected official, and so he had never seen any of my movies or anything. But it was just this adventure. He picked me up in the pouring rain on his way to get lunch at the subway. Real ride number five, the Corvette Kid. We crossed the state line into Pennsylvania, a 20-year-old transporting a senior citizen across state lines for hitchhiking fun. Is this a federal offense, I say out loud? We both laugh. His mother starts texting frequently, and while I don't see how he answers, he admits she's alarmed. After all, her son borrowed her car to go to lunch and now is in another state with a supposed John Waters, whoever the hell that is, whom he picked up hitchhiking. So what did you end up learning from this trip across America? That mid-Americans are the opposite of what the cliche is. They were not judgmental. They were not predictable either. But this may be, I must admit, mid-Americans who pick up hitchhikers, which are a special breed of lovely people. Yeah, that seems like it's a smaller cross-section possibly. Yeah. 
did you enjoy doing the audiobook version of Carson? I did the audio. I did the whole thing. And, and I, I, that's when you realize you've written some really strange parts and you look over and see the horrified expression of technicians. Um, I, when I write movies, I do read them into a tape recorder and play every part. And no one's ever heard those tapes. I erase them but because I'm listening to the dialogue. But in a book, I, I don't really do that. Now, you have a real passion for reading, and that comes out in the book. You talk about hating to be in a hotel where the lighting's too dim. Where do you get your passion for reading? Is that something you've had all your life? No, when I was young, I never read till I was a teenager because I hated the books that we had to read in grade school, and they made us do those horrible book reports, which I hated. I didn't like the life of Benjamin Franklin. I wanted Grove Press, which had Lady Chatterley's lover. Uh, really, Grove Press is what got me reading when they when they did Jean Genet and Samuel Beckett and Theater of the Absurd and John Ritchie's City of Night. So I did not read a lot as a child. You're 68 now, correct? Yes. So I find it really impressive that your work still feels so fresh and so energetic. Do you think that's because you keep looking for adventures, like going on this hitchhiking across America trip? Well, first, thank you. Um, And secondly, yeah, I get older and my audience gets younger because I don't think we had more fun than they did. I'm always looking what comes tomorrow. Um, I have youth spies. They they come and tell me new groups, and I like to hear what's going on. I still go out. Uh, people said, weren't you afraid to hitchhike across America? No, I would be afraid to stay home and never go out. Do you think also the fact that you constantly kind of question authority and challenge the establishment is also what keeps you young? I think it keeps me young, but at the same time, I am authority. which is the ultimate irony. Now, you work in film, and you write books, and you do live uh, performances. What are kind of like the different creative challenges and satisfactions you get from each of those? I'm telling a story. Just call me Uncle Remus. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same satisfaction, is making people laugh. So in one of your best rides, actually your first best ride, you meet someone who is willing to give you $5 million to make a movie. So that didn't happen in your real rides, but what is the what does the future look like for your next film? Well, I have a I need six actually. Um, who knows? It doesn't look good, but you know I I'm still pitching. I have a big TV pitch. I'm invited. Who knows what's going to happen? I still haven't given up, but I also have a long time ago learned to have many many careers. So um, the classic was on the bestseller list in the New York Times for seven weeks. So um, uh, you know I I'll probably write a book next. Who knows? All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with me. Sure. Thank you. And I look forward to coming to San Diego. I'm going to Chicago. That's the last place my baby stayed. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast and to my interviews with John Waters. His new Christmas show will be at the Observatory North Park this Monday night at 8 p.m. So, until our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.
the same. 